And then over time, the same pathologies that drive anxiety, depression, and all that now are the exact same pathologies that cause Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and dementia, right? It's the same thing. Um, and so when you really think about that, you go, wow, okay, so the anxiety I'm experiencing right now, right, depending, no matter how severe it is, whether it's occasional or it's a chronic steady state anxiety throughout the day or, or depression, that what I'm feeling right now is actually pre-Alzheimer's. It's actually pre-Parkinson's, pre-dementia, because the pathologies are the same, right? It's just that Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and all that come on when the damage has become significant enough where the neurological function of the brain is completely compromised. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. This episode's sponsor is Microbiome Labs. For the past nine years, Microbiome Labs has been committed to advancing understanding of the human microbiome. They're at the helm of innovation, putting new formulations and technology in the hands of healthcare practitioners and patients. Among many other novel innovations, MBL can now help improve the gut-brain connection with their Zen Biome Cope and Zen Biome Sleep products. Maybe it's been a while since you've re-examined your probiotic choices, the science around the microbiome, or novel solutions that are coming out every day. Microbiome Labs will be here at the forefront of science, continuing to pioneer health in this space. For more about this strain and other gut microbiome products, visit microbiomelabs.com. And as a special bonus for all our Drew Perlman Show listeners, you can receive 15% off your total order from the Microbiome Labs by just using the discount code that is listed in the show notes. Okay, let's dive in and get started. Today's guest is Kiran Krishnan. He's back on the show with us. Kiran is a research microbiologist and has been involved in the dietary supplement and nutrition market for the past 17 years. He comes from a strict research background, having spent several years with hands-on R&D in the fields of molecular medicine and microbiology at the University of Iowa. And most recently, Kiran is acting as the Chief Scientific Officer at Physicians Exclusive, LLC, and Microbiome Labs. And he's currently working on, well, he may be working on more than this, but he's working on nine novel human clinical trials on probiotics and the human microbiome. Kiran, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we, lo we loved having you the last time. So much amazing information. We, so I was telling Kieran, last time we got into the immune system mm -hmm. um, with, and, its, and its connection to the microbiome and the gut and microbes. And today I was hoping to get more into the gut and the brain and the gut-brain access. And, and Kieran, just to start us out, because there, there may be people that just aren't even familiar with any of this, but, but why is the gut sometimes referred to as the second brain? And, and how does it communicate? How does our gut communicate with our brain brain? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I in fact, like to call the gut the other brain, because um, when you call it the second brain, it somehow makes it 
sound inferior to the to the primary brain, right? So so let's refer to it as the other brain because what you tend to realize is that the gut and the brain are actually part of the same system. Uh, they're just two ends of the same system, and they work and depend on one another quite a bit. So the brain is absolutely dependent on the gut, right? So from basic things like nutrient absorption, you know, the brain can't get any of the nutrients it needs, any of the vitamins, minerals, you know, peptides, enzymes, any of that stuff without the gut performing its job in breaking down and assimilating the nutrients. And of, co of course, within the gut, the responsibility for breaking down and assimilating nutrients is largely based on the microbes, right? So the microbes feed the brain. That's a, that's a really important aspect of it. So that part of it, and then also the neurological connection where virtually every neurotransmitter that's produced and utilized in the brain or any other part of the body is also produced and utilized in the gut. So they use the same chemistries, they use the same compounds, the, the gut produces compounds of the brain, but then the brain also directs the gut in functionality, right? Everything from basic like peristaltic activity, that's a movement of the bowels to keep the bowels healthy and functioning, that signal comes from the brain. And of course, uh, signals from the brain that can influence the microbes in the gut like stress-based signals and anxious-based signals, uh, all of those things are connected as well. So let's think about the gut and the brain as two parts of the same system. And when the gut is messed up, you can be guaranteed that your brain is gonna be dysfunctional in some way or the other, right? And that dysfunction can be as simple as, um, you know, poor memory, it can be as simple as poor cognition, some anxiety, all the way to things like really scary conditions like, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and other neurodegenerative conditions. And if your brain's not functioning properly, you can be certain that your gut's not functioning well either, right? So they go hand in hand, um, and they're connected through a number of mechanisms. I mentioned through the digestive tract, which is the circulation, right? So nutrients enter the circulation from the digestive tract, whether it's nutrients that are extracted from food or nutrients that are produced in the digestive tract by the microbes those end up through circulation. We also know the immune systems intimately connected to the brain, the immune system, which is largely found in the gut through the lymphatic system. The brain does have its own lymphatic system. And then also through the neurological system, that's the enteric nervous system. So this is a very, very dense set of neurons that cover your whole digestive tract. It's, it's more dense than your spinal cord is itself, and it's connected directly to your brain through the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve gives a direct two-way neurological connection. Then all things like uh, neurotransmitters and so on are transmitted through that route. So the brain and the gut are connected through at least three major systems, and they're really the same part of two, the two different parts of the same system. Mm. And, and did I, I, I believe I've, I've read before that like 90% of the information is going gut to brain through the vagus nerve versus like 10% going brain to gut. So, I mean, it seems like there's a tremendous amount of information that's going from the gut to the brain. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like serotonin, what, 90 plus percent produced in the gut? Yep. Dopamine. Yep. I mean, that's amazing. It is. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's definitely imbalanced, whether it's 90, 10 or 70, 30. That number will shift as we make more discoveries in this area. But certainly it's it's more lopsided where 
there's more going from the gut to the brain than there is from the brain to the gut, you know? And that's another reason why it feels disingenuous to call it the second brain, because it's really feeding and driving the first brain in such a significant way. Mm. I know. I think I, so years ago I had inter- interviewed Alessio Fasano, the, the, the researcher, and I think he said it's, it's more the first brain. The gut is more the brain than the brain. Yeah. Both developed from the same tissue. Uh, when you look at the embryonic stage of, uh, of gestation. And the other really interesting thing is, obviously, one of, the, one of the key definitions, physiological definitions of being a human being is, is having this brain size compared to the rest of the body, right? We know if you look at animals across the animal kingdom, the size of your brain in many ways dictates the level of intelligence and function and so on. The unique thing about humans compared to other animals is the size of our brain to the size of our body. And the the size of our brain requires a tremendous amount of energy. So our brain not only produces a lot of energy, but it consumes a lot of energy. And so one of the key steps in the, the evolutionary development of the human brain was the development of a fermentive base in our GI tract. Right. And the ability of of incorporating microbes into our GI tract that can produce a huge diversity of compounds that drive functionality in the brain. Right. So our brain wouldn't exist the way it does today as a species if it wasn't for the unique developments in the gut that allowed us to inhabit uh, to to bring in and allow the inhabitants of a huge diversity of species. Um, so that it's it's all connected and it's super fascinating when you think about how our brain came about and what you know and that makes us us right that's a big difference between us and other creatures is our cognitive level um, and and that is largely driven by the gut. So so Kieran if if we have an imbalance in the gut and this is what you were saying before if we have too many of the the wrong microbes pathogens if we don't have enough of the good ones so this could absolutely drive mood issues emotional issues sleep issues would you say Yeah absolutely and one of the things I've been trying to impress upon people I've been doing a lot of gut brain lectures in the last year and a half um one of the most important things I want to impress upon people is that not only does a dysfunctional gut create dysfunction in the brain, right? We know that. We know that it does create things like you just described, mood issues, cognitive issues like memory, uh, recall, slowness, um, sleep issues, and then uh, you know long-term issues as well, like, Arkin- like uh, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. But a dysfunctional gut not only drives dysfunction in the brain, but becomes arguably the most toxic thing to your brain. Right. So that's the part that is so important, because not only are you experiencing dysfunction now because your gut is messed up in some way, but that messed up gut also is the most toxic thing to your brain. You know, you could be doing lots of things that are bad for your brain. Right. You could be taking substances, having poor diets, all this kind of stuff, exposing yourself to environmental chemicals and so on that are bad for your brain. But ultimately, a dysfunctional gut is arguably the most Dis- disruptive thing and destructive thing to your brain. And so it becomes absolutely critical for everybody to be thinking about the gut brain axis and ensuring that they have a healthy gut so that they're not literally uh, intoxicating the brain every single day. 
so somebody, Kieran, that's having brain issues, that's like you said, sort of being poisoned by their gut, um, their brain being poisoned by their gut. Where did I, and I want to get into the psychobiotics, which is very exciting, but, but, but where would you, where would someone like that even start that's trying to correct some brain issues? Where, where, where would you, where would you even begin? I would say that the, the first thing to think about is leaky gut, right? So there's lots of studies that show I do, I do a lecture that, you know, I can stretch for two hours easily just showing studies on how leakiness in the gut creates a tremendous amount of toxicity and damage to the brain, in particular because of certain compounds that leak through. So things like LPS, which is lipopolysaccharide, which are made by around 50% of the bacteria that live in your gut. If your gut is leaky, that LPS is constantly leaking through. And one of the areas it makes its way into is your brain. When, when, when it's in your brain, it induces things like anxiety, depression, um, it, it induces things like sickness behaviors among major depressive disorders. These are behaviors like anhedonia, which is that inability to feel happiness, uh, anorexia nervosa, you know, lethargy, um, you know, all kinds of things that, that compromise your quality of life. At the same time, driving depression itself, that depressive feeling. It, it drives anxiety all the way from, you know, daily generalized anxiety disorder all the way to the point where people who are so anxious they can't leave their house, right? All of that spectrum is driven by leakiness in the gut. And then over time, the same pathologies that drive anxiety, depression, and all that now are the exact same pathologies that cause Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and dementia, right? It's the same thing. Um, and so when you really think about that, you go, wow, okay, so the anxiety I'm experiencing right now, right? Depending, no matter how severe it is, whether it's occasional or it's a chronic steady state anxiety throughout the day or, or depression, that what I'm feeling right now is actually pre-Alzheimer's. It's actually pre-Parkinson's, pre-dementia, because the pathologies are the same, right? It's just that Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and all that come on when the damage has become significant enough where the neurological function of the brain is completely compromised, right? But up to that point, you're going to be experiencing the damage as inability to sleep, as depression, as anxiety, and so on. Um, so it's 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 a is a, a spectrum of damage, and it occurs over time, but we experience it early on, and we will experience and feel it later on as well. You even experience it in kids. So ADD, ADHD. Um, you know, uh, spectrum disorders, behavioral disorders, those are all gut-related damages to the brain that either A, occurs in utero, or at least starts in utero, and then gets profoundly accelerated when the kid is born. And usually within the first couple of years of life, that damage starts to establish itself. And then you start to see the symptomology of uh, you know, spectrum-like behaviors and, and outbursts and behavior disorders and so on. Mm. So to reverse this, so, so I definitely addressing the leaky gut um, and, and correcting the, the dysbiosis and all that. So, so what, I guess what, what could provide like the biggest bang for someone's buck as far as um, what you see as, you know, a powerful way to kind of reverse someone that has that dysbiosis that's causing brain issues? 
Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, you thinking you, you have to think about leaky gut first. That's the biggest driver. And when we're thinking about leaky gut, the thing that impacts it the most is is increasing alpha diversity within the gut microbiome. Right. Alpha diversity is a measure of how many functional organisms, species you have within your gut. The more diverse your gut microbiome is, the better you are, the more resilient your gut is. And, and the less leaky it becomes. And then you also need high levels of keystone species. Keystone species are organisms like Acromantia, Fecalum bacteria prosnitsi, Bifidobacterium longum. These are microbes that protect the lining of the gut against leakiness. And so you need to bring down opportunistic and, and problematic bacteria. You need to start increasing the diversity and you need to start increasing the growth of uh, keystone species. The most effective ways to do that uh, for us, we've published studies on the spore based probiotics. So Megaspore, for example, um, that can do that. It seals leaky gut in as little as 30 days. We have a, a good published study on that in a big uh, in a major gastroenterology journal. We also show that it starts to increase diversity within the gut microbiome and it starts to increase the growth of keystone species. So the spore probiotics, uh, depending on the spore, that's that's an important distinction. But if you have the right spore probiotic, it's going to start making those changes already. Now, if you want to compound on those changes and make the right choices, then what you would do is start diversifying your diet. Uh, that's a huge impact on your gut diversity. So adding in new types of foods uh, on a weekly basis, new types of roots and tubers and uh, fruits, even if you can tolerate them, but nuts and seeds and all the different categories of foods, you want to add a few a more variety throughout your diet. Um, you also want to be able to get more exposure to natural microbes. Uh, studies are clear that the more exposure you gain through the environment, for example, or through things like having a dog in your house, having pets, um, the more your gut will become resilient. Right. So being outside, outdoors, uh, you know, going for hikes, going to the beach, uh, going for places, natural environments where you immerse yourself for a short periods of time, 30, 40 minutes, that will have a measurable impact. As I mentioned, you can get a dog as well, and that'll have an, a measurable impact also. So between using the right type of probiotic, increasing the diversity in your in your gut microbiome by increasing food diversity, uh, and also increasing exposure to the outdoor environment. Just those three things alone are a great, easy first step for most people to starting to revamp their gut microbiome in light of leaky gut and then all of the impacts that leaky gut has on the brain. And you cannot overstate the importance of doing those things. Now, you may not feel, you might be like depressed throughout, you know, every day, right? You might feel anxious every day. And then you do this for four or five days and you go, I don't really feel any different. You're not going to feel different in four or five days, right? And that's the other aspect that people have to think about is the cognitive dysfunctions we have that are driven by the gut. Those took years to develop, right? Uh, and it took years for the gut to become dismantled. So it's going to take a little bit more time. Fortunately, it doesn't take years, but it does take months, right? So you do have to be uh, you know dedicated and committed to those changes for three four five months and then you will start feeling uh the difference
That's great. That's great. So I'd love for you to take us, because we didn't get into it last time, is with the whole psychobiotics. Yeah. And and maybe just explaining for, for some, you know, may not even be aware of what this is, but what are psychobiotics and, you know, maybe a few of the cool studies that you've been doing that can kind of really speak to, you know, how powerful they can be? Yeah, psychobiotics are absolutely fascinating. Uh, basically, they are a category of probiotic bacteria that have a direct impact on the brain. Uh, and it does so through neurotransmitters, through, through the immune system, and so on. So there's multiple mechanisms in which it does. Uh, we were able to um, isolate and, and develop and study uh, a very unique psychobiotic strain called Bifidobacterium longum 1714. So it's Bifidobacterium is a genus, Longum is a species. And in fact, Bifidobacterium Longum is a commensal uh, and a keystone species as well. It's one of those very important ones for maintaining balance within the gut microbiome, within the immune system and the lining of the gut as well. But this, this goes one step further. There's something very unique about this particular Bifidolongum. And that is that it has this exopolysaccharide layer it, it produces this layer made up of something called peptidoglycans and similar compounds, but it basically has these tentacle slime-like layer all around it, right? And this is unique for a bifidobacterium longum. As it turns out, it's that layer that gives this particular bifidolongum some very unique properties. A couple of the unique properties are, number one, is it mitigates inflammatory responses that are driven by the gut in response to stress, right? And I'll explain what that is. Number two, it also creates neurotransmitters in the gut that impact how the brain functions, right? So let me unpack both of those for you. The first one, uh, when we experience stress, uh, and no matter what the source of the stress is, right? Whether it can be real danger, like somebody's approaching you with a knife or a gun, right? or it could be a, a comment that you're stressed out about on Twitter or Instagram, right? What's interesting about them is that clearly one is more dangerous than the other, but biologically we respond in very similar ways, right? We have the same kind of flight or fight response. Uh, so biochemically, it looks very similar in our body. And in this modern world today, we have lots of these stressors, right? Whether it's on your commute to work or somebody at your home or work, whatever it may be, there's a thousand and one of these things happening throughout the day that will kick off the flight or fight response. We know in the, the end product of the flight or fight response are twofold. One is the sympathetic nervous system gets turned up, right? And the role of the sympathetic nervous system is to get you physically ready to fight or flee, right? And so what, what it's trying to do is increase perfusion of blood to areas like your heart, your muscles and your brain, right? Which is where you need blood. You don't need blood in your digestive tract at that point. You don't need your immune system taking up energy. You need to be physically ready to fight or flee. So it's trying to do that. One of the ways in which it does that is by activating the immune system in the brain and in the central nervous system to get more perfusion. So it increases inflammation in the brain, right? And it does it through the release of catecholamines and it, and it activates macrophages and microglia cells in the central nervous system to recruit more blood and more immune cells to those areas. So when you're feeling stress and the flight or fight response is triggering, know that your brain is going through a massive inflammatory increase. And so is your central nervous system, right? 
And we know that at that point it's necessary, right? Because that's a survival mechanism. Although in the modern world, 99.9% of the flight or fight response is not necessary for survival. It's for dumb stuff like watching TV that stresses us or, you know, messages and things like that that we get. But historically and evolutionarily, it has been for true survival purposes. So the body compromises. It goes, I need to get blood to the brain and the central nervous system and the heart. I'm going to do it through the immune system because that's the fastest way to get perfusion, right? Um, but there's going to be some damage from it, right? Because we know inflammation damages tissue. But in that moment, it's important. So that's the sympathetic nervous system. That's getting getting your body ready. Now, the, second, the other side of it is cortisol starts to go up as well. Cortisol drives some of this as well. One of the things that cortisol does is it increases blood pressure, right? So, and it does it through the microbiome, actually. So cortisol gets dumped into the gut as its levels are going up. And then there are microbes in the gut that metabolize cortisol. And then the metabolic byproducts go to the kidneys, which increases sodium potassium pump function. So that increases sodium and potassium into your blood to increase pressure so that you can get more blood to your heart, to your brain, to your muscles, and so on. So it's all playing off the same system. But keep this in mind, when you're in that fight or flight state, when you're anxious or stressed, your brain is inflamed, your heart is inflamed, your muscles are inflamed, your blood pressure is way up, right? And, you're, and all the reparative systems are suppressed, right? The, the systems that repair the damaged cells, your the defensive part of the immune system, your digestive system, all the metabolic systems that rebuild, those are all depressed, right? Because you're only fighting or fleeing. So the, the, what tends to happen here is that if you're in that state for a moment, if you're in that state for two, three, four minutes, long enough to fight or flee, and then you run away from the danger and you come down from it, the net damage is not that bad, but there is still some net damage. And then the cortisol, what it's supposed to do in, in, uh, on top of increasing blood pressure, it's dumping into the gut. One of the reasons is it has to bind these glucocorticoid receptors in the gut. When enough cortisol binds to glucocorticoid receptors, those receptors send a negative feedback signal to the sympathetic nervous system to calm everything down. So cortisol actually acts as its own regulator, right? And elevated cortisol at, the, at, at a certain point of its elevation, it's causing the flight or fight response. But when it gets to a certain level, it's starting to actually reduce the fight or flight response. That's the regulatory system in the body. Now, here's a big problem that we run into in the modern day. When your gut is dysbiotic and messed up, you have low diversity, low keystone species and all that. One of the things that happens when cortisol gets dumped into the gut is it actually makes the gut leaky it increases leakiness of the gut very significantly in a very short amount of time, right? We're talking about in minutes. Then what happens when the gut becomes leaky, like it, like always, is inflammation goes up from the translocation of things like endotoxins and all that. When inflammation goes up from cortisol entering the gut, there's a, there's a one egregious compound that increases quite a bit, and that's called interleukin-6. When interleukin-6 goes up, the big problem with interleukin-6 is it reactivates the HPA axis in the brain as if there's a new stressor involved, which means cortisol gets re-released, your sympathetic nervous system gets re-energized and reactivated, 
and you go through the whole flight of fight response again, right? And before you can ever come down from it, cortisol is dumping into the gut, making the gut even more leaky, more IL-6 is going up. And as it goes up, it's reactivating the HPA axis again. So what tends to happen in the modern day that did not happen so much back in the day during evolutionary times is that when we experience a stressor today, because of our damaged gut, that single stressor reactivates the whole HPA fight or fight response continuously throughout the day, right? And that means also our tolerance level for other external stressors goes way down because we're already in a heightened state. So something in the first part of the morning stresses you out, whether it's you're running late to work or whatever it may be, the smallest thing, that one thing keeps reactivating your HPA axis, which means that everything else you experience throughout the day becomes much more profound in terms of its ability to kick off the flight or fight response and all the inflammation that's going on in the body, right? So the way to prevent all of this is to have a healthy gut, and in particular, one key component in the gut that shunts the, cause, the, the driver of leaky gut when cortisol dumps in. So cortisol can dump in the gut, it can get metabolized properly, it can bind the glucocorticoid receptors without causing leakiness in the gut and the reactivation of the HPA axis. You know, so does that make sense? I know that was a lot to unpack, but basically the big difference is our ancestors could be walking through the grasslands, see a predator, get a flight or fight response, flee from that situation, climb up a tree, get to a safe space, and then come down from it, right? We will see a tweet or text early in the morning that stresses us out, and that same stressor will continue to stress us out throughout the day. We can't ever come down from it. And remember, I mentioned earlier, when we are in that fight or flight state, we can't repair, we can't digest, right? We can't rest, all of those things aren't occurring. So when we're in this state, we don't actually go through the process of repairing the system from all of the inflammatory damage that has occurred. Right? So we end up with this net damage over time because of just daily external stressors. Now, the key component in the gut that prevents all this is peptidoglycan. And that bifidolongum species I'm talking about is a big producer of peptidoglycan in the gut. So that one species shunts this entire quagmire of responses in the body and allows your body to experience a stressor but at the same time come down from it appropriately and not experience other heightened levels of stress afterwards, mm, right? Huge, huge. Huge. It's, yeah. I mean, and it's a single bug in your gut that controls that whole mechanism. And what's amazing about it is that as a species, clearly it sounds very important that we control our flight or fight response, right? That it doesn't run away from us every single day and put us in this continuous flight or fight state which is what's happening with a, a huge majority of people today. But we've outsourced that control mechanism to bacteria in our gut that make this compound called peptidoglycan. Now, you would think peptidoglycan is only important for that. Actually, it turns out, no, peptidoglycan is also the key compound for the development of the brain when we were in utero, right? So mother's gut bacteria produces peptidoglycan. They release it into her circulation. The peptidoglycan actually moves through circulation. There are receptors on the placenta to grab onto the peptidoglycan, and then there are transporters 
to take the peptidoglycan to the baby's brain. And then there are receptors on the baby's brain to bind peptidoglycan, which stimulates neurological development in the brain. It also stimulates the development of the blood-brain barrier and uh, something um, called myelination, which is putting that insulation around all the baby's nerves, right? All of these things arguably are some of the most important things we want to happen for our baby in utero is the development of its brain. We've outsourced that to the same out, uh, secondary byproduct of this type of bacteria. So it's really important when your brain is developing in utero, but then it becomes increasingly important throughout your life in terms of allowing you to appropriately deal with external stressors. So, so Kieran, so if you had someone who, you know, and I know you've probably done this in the lab, but who's just really having a tough time dealing with stress, dealing with resiliency and just, you know, one stressor just sets them off. Yep. I mean, what would happen if you, you gave them your psychobiotic with this bug that you're talking about? I mean, would you expect there to be some kind of like change in that in how they deal with stress like have you have you found some cool studies that deal with what happens when this bug goes in so this this probiotic goes in someone who's having a tough time with stress yeah so we've done uh eight published studies on this in particular so here's what we see which is super super fascinating right um number one what we've we've done a few studies where what we do is we take a group of people who don't describe themselves as being anxious or stressed or anything, right? So they are, quote unquote, the healthy, normal individual. We dose them up uh, on a, for a 30 day period. Um, and prior to dosing them up, we put them through a stressful scenario, right? And there's a number of ways you can create stress in people acutely. And then we measure the cortisol levels, we measure brainwave activity, and then we also do surveys on how much did they perceive that stress to be and so on. Um, and then what we do is we dose them up for 30 days on the probiotic or on a placebo, and then we do the similar stress response tests afterwards. And what we've seen in a number of our studies is the perception of stress when you're on the probiotic is dramatically reduced. That's also um, uh, shown by the cortisol response to that stress. The cortisol response actually gets blunted quite a bit, right? So you don't have as much of the biochemical flight or fight response that you used that you did before to that same exact stressor. We also then see all the inflammatory markers because remember, inflammation is the way that your sympathetic nervous system drives perfusion in the brain and the neurological system. So we see that inflammation come down dramatically, right? So we know that in healthy, normal individuals, when you take a psychobiotic, it's gonna dramatically reduce your stress response to things that you might find to be stressful. Now, then the next step is what about in anxious individuals and people with depression? So those are the next set of studies we did. And we saw the exact same thing where we can bring down the daily stress response. You can actually start to put them in a better stress pattern, right? Where they're not chronically stressed. They don't have generalized anxiety. They might get little spikes of anxiousness throughout the day, depending on the inputs and the things that they're around but they negate having that whole generalized anxiety feeling throughout the day, right? Uh, we're doing a, a study right now on depression and we're seeing improvements in people's moods and all that, but that study is not completed yet to know. But here's a really fascinating thing we see in all of these studies um, is the changes in brainwave function. 
And that's the part that's so 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 crazy to me that these bacteria have a way of changing our brain waves. So we know there's alpha and beta and delta waves and so on, right? Uh, and theta waves. Theta waves are well known to be that really healthy meditative state that your brain can be in. That's in fact what we're trying to achieve with meditation, right? Meditation puts your brain towards a theta wave that allows you to very properly rationalize problems, compartmentalize things as you need it, uh, and also not uh, get the physical response to mental stressors and so on, right? Um, what we found is that the microbes put your brain into theta wave function. And for creative people or working people, theta wave is also that flow state where you're very creative and you're just doing things automatically without thinking about them, right? Because you have all this uh, knowledge that you're tapping into in your subconscious brain, right? So, you know, musicians and artists and all that, they want to get into that, what they call the flow state, where their brain is simply guiding their body and doing things. This is what that flow state is, is that theta brainwave state, right? So there's a microbe that puts you into that state, which is medica meditation in a pill, which is absolutely <laughs> phenomenal, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's mind boggling that it can do that. Um, and then at the same time, what it does is it turns on something called the coping centers of the brain. So all of us have a center of a brain called the coping center, which is the part of the brain that allows us to rationalize and cope through stressors and things that 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 cause us, you know, instability. Right? Uh, if the coping centers of the brain aren't turned on, then your your response to a stressor is going to be irrational, is going to be emotional. Right? That's going to be the first way you respond to something. That's a short-tempered people and so on. Uh, but everybody has the same problem. It's just your thresholds are different, right? Um, one of the things we saw in our studies on the brain mapping studies is we turn on the coping centers through the probiotic, which means that it's making you a more rational, grounded person on top of that. Right. So it, it's it's absolutely phenomenal for, for uh, phenomenal uh, for a lot of our patients. We launched the product in uh, September of last year, and it's been an absolute game changer for a lot of people. You is know? this is this the just calm product? It is. Yeah, the just yeah. it is. You know, that's the 1714 strain. And it's just it's been an amazing uh, journey to see the response that people have been getting with it. Mm. And, and is this for adult? Is this for children as well? Can they, can they take the um, the just calm? They can, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my uh, my nine year old, she takes it, and and I we found, and she was a C section baby because um, she was breech. Uh, oh no, sorry, she wasn't breech. My son was breech, but she didn't wasn't come out. They 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 will allow you to attempt to do a natural childbirth for a very short amount of time, and then if she doesn't come out, they're going to go and get her right. Um, and so she was a C-section baby. So she already started off on, uh, on the wrong foot when it comes to the microbiome. Fortunately, we have lots of tools to help her microbiome. So in general, she's fine. But one of the things that we've noticed with her is there are some behavioral changes in her, right? Where she's easily triggered by things and, and she has a hard time rationalizing things that upset her, uh, you know, changes in the schedule and things like that, right? Or something 
she thinks his precious breaks, you know, and we can get another one. It's not a big deal. But in that moment, she responds very emotionally. And what we found when we started putting her on the 1714 strain is that all of that calms down quite a bit. You know, she's just generally a much easier, happier kid, you know, and and uh, we were just talking about this yesterday because in the last like seven days or so, she's been refusing to take it because she's been at camps and things like that. And we open it up and mix it into things for her because she can't swallow pills just yet. Uh, but she's like skipping it and all that. And we're seeing some slight changes in behavior as well. Right. So get her back on it and, and, and she does fine. Right. So, yeah, absolutely important for kids. Keep in mind that kids will express the flight or fight response in different ways than adults. Right. They will express it as tantrums. They'll express it as, you know, uh, behavioral disorders or, um, you know, irking somebody else and, and bothering other kids and things like that. Um, that's how they tend to express it versus adults. We tend to feel the anxiousness, depression, or some people get violent and, you know, you know, do things out of emotion. That's wow. That's, that's amazing. Amazing research. Well, you know what we, you know, maybe for the next episode, Karen, we'll, we can go more into it. Cause I, as I know, we, this is just fascinating science and I want to hear more about studies and all, and all that kind of thing. But, um, but just a few final questions, just, um, you know, I wanted to get your thoughts. Um, you know, you and I talked about some other stuff last time related to purpose and practices and things that we do. Anybody out there who's listening right now, I mean, you're, you're a scientist, you found your passion. Anybody's struggling to find their passion, who, you know, looking for their purpose, their passion. If, if they were with you right now, what, what might you tell them? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think at the end of the day, what I find as a, a great indicator of what your purpose may be, right? And these aren't hard and fast rules, but it can give you a clue. Um, what is it that you do or you have the capability of doing that really enlightens or enhances other people's lives, right? Um, if that becomes, if you identify with that, and, and then maybe you're an artist, right? Your drawings are inspired inspirational to others or make people feel happy, whether you you have a talent for music or simple uh, something as simple as you listen really well, right? And not everyone does that well, but there are some people that people feel very comfortable talking to because they feel like they're truly listening to them, right? And that they care about what they're saying. So just think about your childhood. Think about as you've gone through life, what do people tell you that you do? that has a positive impact on them. And then there's more than likely a professional version of that, right? Uh, if you listen well, maybe you wanna become a therapist or a psychologist or something like that, a counselor of some sort, right? Or a musician, artist, if you can exercise those talents. But ultimately, the thing that's going to make you the most fulfilled is something that you love doing, that you do innately and naturally. Of course, you can always train it and make it better, uh, but that thing also, if it impacts other people, right? Uh, because that is how we are designed biologically, right? And I come back to the microbiome on this. The microbiome is successful in, in running our system and improving our health and all that because of the community structure of the microbiome, right? every single bacteria in the microbiome counts on other bacteria for something or the other, right? They can't exist by themselves. They need the community structure in order to proliferate. 
humans are exactly the same way, right? We evolve based on community structures. Uh, a single human by themselves out in the wilderness will not do very well compared to 10 people together, right? And so the community structure is really important. And, and biologically, we're designed to move towards a community structure. Oxytocin is a great example of a hormone that's designed to drive us towards community structures, right? Because we release this hormone when we interact with each other in a positive way. And that hormone gives us happiness and gives us satiety, mental satiety, and so on. So if you're looking for your passion and all that, just think about what innate talents you have uh, or something you've been able to do in the past that fulfills other people. That should be and can be your your purpose. That's great. And you know, Kieran, I've been told that I'm a good listener. And so maybe podcast host could be the other the other thing too. You have a patience to your listening. I'm, you know, in some ways I'm a, I'm 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 not your typical podcast guest because I can rattle on for, you know, <laughs> hours on end. And it's hard for the host, right? Who typically it's more of a conversation. You have more dialogue, but a patient listener like yourself will be like, okay, you know, he's saying something. And you're listening and you're engaged and you're you're thinking about it. So you are and yeah. you found your purpose. I'm soaking it in. I, I I love it. I could listen to you, Karen. I could listen to you for hours. So it's it's good stuff. Good stuff. So my final question, I just want to get your thoughts on this. So I just read this from a poet that I really love. His name is Jaya John. And I'm just gonna read these words and just just tell me what comes to mind. Yeah. He he writes, The greatest work you can do in this world is inside you. Do you wish to change the world, change your inner condition? Anything, anything yeah. come up with that? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I think that, that, that is very much in line with a, with a quote that I always uh, kind of lean on. It's, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, right? And I can't, if that was Gandhi that said that, or I think it was uh, Gandhi that said that. Yeah. That is absolutely true because, and I think that goes back to the statement around community structure is that, you know, we influence each other in such a significant way. We inspire each other, right? We do all kinds of things, but you can't do that. You can uh, only give someone what you've got, right? And if you don't have it, you can't give it, right? If you don't have compassion, if you don't have energy, if you don't have, you know, uh, the, the, the components in you that can make an impact for somebody else, you can't give it. And so you have to build it within yourself first, right? You have to build patience. You have to build empathy. You have to build compassion. You have, you have to build energy, you know? You have to show up in order to really impact somebody. But all that starts within yourself, right? We've all seen, for example, and I hear this from a lot of friends, and this is such a simplistic view, but it's true. If you go, if you're having a health issue and you, you call and you make an appointment to a doctor, right? And you go see the doctor and that doctor looks incredibly unhealthy, right? <laughs> Your shoe is really overweight and their hair is awful and the skin is awful and you can smell cigarettes on them and all that, right? <laughs> like how likely are you going to trust that they have any way of improving your health, right? Um, and so that doctor has to show up. They have to be the change themselves. They have to live a healthy lifestyle. They have to look and feel and act healthy before you could have confidence that they can actually change you, 
right? That's a very simplistic example, but I hear that all the time from people. I was just having a conversation this past weekend where a friend of mine was talking to me about her health journey, and she said, and I went to see this doctor, this GI doctor that people were saying, you know, uh, is really well known, and he looked so unhealthy to me that I immediately left, you know? <laughs> just couldn't fathom that this person can help her, right? And so his ability to impact her and other people around him is negated by his inability to help himself first, right? So, so, so that's a, I, I love that statement and it, and it goes right along with how I think about things. Beautiful, beautiful, powerful reminder. Be the change, be the change. Yeah. Kieran, yeah, thank you so much. Um, so where can people go that want to learn, maybe want to learn about psychobiotics, maybe want to... Maybe want to pick it up and get and get it right now, um, where, or or just want to learn about you and, and some of your research. Where, where should they go? Yeah, so they can go to justthrivehealth.com. Uh, just Thrive Health has the Just Calm product, where there's good a good amount of information on the psychobiotic. A lot of my interviews and webinars and presentations have been uploaded to YouTube from a lot of very nice people who have done that uh, after the interview. So if you just put my name uh, in YouTube, Kiran Krishnan, you'll find lots and lots of uh, interviews. You can actually search by topic almost. You can put Kiran Krishnan, you know, metabolic health or immune health, and you'll find various presentations, but also reach out to me on social. Uh, I try to engage with people as much as I can to provide them some direction uh, on their health journeys. And uh, that's my Instagram handle is Kiran Biome. K-I-R-A-N-B-I-O-M-E. And on Facebook, you can find me at Kieran Krishnan. I think if you put that in, you'll see you'll see me pop up. So reach out uh, if you if you wish and uh, you know, try to engage with people as much as I can. Beautiful, Kieran. Yeah, and we'll link up in the show notes, definitely. Thank you for listening to the Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.